It was Friday morn when we set sail and we were not so far from the land When our captain he spied a mermaid so fair with a comb and a glass in her hand Oh, the ocean waves do roll and the stormy winds do blow We old sailors are skipping at the top while the landlubbers lie down below, below, below The landlubbers lie down below Then up spoke the captain of our gallant ship and a fine old man was he This fishy mermaid has warned me of our doom, we shall sink to the bottom of the sea And the ocean waves do roll and the stormy winds do blow and we old salts are sitting at the top the land lovers lie down below 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 the land lovers lie down below and up speaks the mate of our gallant ship and a well-spoken man was he oh i have a wife in salem by the sea and tonight a widow she will be oh the ocean waves do roll and the stormy winds do blow we brave tars are skipping at the top the land lovers lie down below 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 the land lovers lie down below and up spoke the cabin boy of our gallant ship and a brave young lad was he oh i have a sweetheart in plymouth by the sea and tonight she'll be weeping for me oh the ocean waves do roll and the stormy winds do blow and we old sailors are sitting at the top the land lovers lie down below 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 the land lovers lie down below and up spoke the cook of our gallant ship and the crazy old butcher was he why care much more for my pots and my pans than i do for the bottom of the sea oh the ocean waves do roll and the stormy winds do blow we old sailors are skipping at the top the land lovers lie down below 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 the land lovers lie down below and three times around spun our gallant ship and three times around spun she and three times around spun our gallant ship and she went to the bottom of the sea oh the ocean waves do roll and the stormy winds do blow we brave tars are skipping at the top the land lovers lie down below 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 the land lovers lie down below You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Robert Gooden. Uh, Robert's new book is The Curdles from Fanographics. And uh, we were just talking a minute ago, trying to figure out the last time I talked to him. And I'm going to say it's probably been at least five years. I think so. It may even be 2008. Jesus. That would be seven years. Um, At which point you're, oh, it's 2009. Oh, okay. I found it. Um, but when that, uh, that was for The Man Who Loved Breasts, which came out from Top Shelf, um, and that was your last published thing. At least it was, um, as far as a solo thing. I think I had maybe one or two more stories in Moam, and I've had maybe some really small short stories in other anthologies of like a page or two. But it was the it was the last 
It was the last significant thing. Although I did a, a story about Carl Jung in an issue of Mom that was 19 pages. I think that was that came after. Uh, yeah, that did come after. Okay. Um, that may have been before we around when we did the interview. Yeah. Yeah, it's been like I've definitely been holed away for four or five years just working on this one. So, yeah. Now. This book, uh, The Curdles, feels completely different from all the rest of your stuff. Um, your previous work being a lot more ink-based, um, black and white, and not necessarily for kids, as per the title of A Man Who Loved Breasts. Um, this feels like a huge departure from your previous work. And I wanted the, any specific reason for going in a younger direction it um the, in in this particular case usually when i've when i've done stories and ideas popped up into my head and i've just gone and done it i haven't really like thought in terms of i want to do this kind of story or that kind of story something pops in my head and, I, and i'll do it this was completely different in that there was a time i was out of animation and i was trying to make it as an illustrator or a comic artist which seems kind of crazy now in hindsight. Um, and I was at SPX, and I was um, I met a guy who was an editor at Disney Adventures when that was still around, named Jesse Post. And he asked me if I'd be interested in pitching something to them. And to my surprise, Disney Adventures actually published creator-owned work where you would keep the copyright of the stuff mm-hmm. and, and probably get paid a decent page rate. Yeah, and there's... I, there was a bone stuff published in it way, 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 way back. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think their print run was like a million, and I thought, I thought this this could be a really good thing. I could, I could. It, it would be kind of a compromise. It would not be doing completely commercial work because I would still own it, but it would be an opportunity to get my stuff out in front of a lot of eyes, and it would pay a little, you know, considerably better than what I've done before. So. I put a pitch together for him of some stuff that would be like short stories that I thought later I could collect in a book. And, and it went there and it kind of sat on a desk for I think a year. And it was in, this was even before the man who loved breasts. So I would, I, I would go and work on these other comics and then Disney adventures basically collapsed, which is why I think it took him so long to get back to me. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, pitched them to Chris Duffy over at Nickelodeon Magazine, but it wasn't quite right for, for that. They were more like kind of one-page or two-page gag things, and mine was a little bit more story, like a longer story, and so it wasn't a good fit there. And with that, I was out of options. I just can't think of any other place to print kids' comics. But I had become quite attached to this idea and these characters that I came up with. So then I started to think in terms of, well, maybe just go for it. Just do a longer book um, and see how it does. And so um, I, wrote, I wrote up the story. I think I, I, I came up with an outline. I penciled like the first eight pages. I sent them over to Eric at Fanographics, and he was into it. And so then I spent the next five years finishing it. Um. What do you think um, was the thing that 
kind of delayed it so long or took so much time um, because you had been a little more prolific before. Uh, what happened, I did go back into animation mm -hmm. after um, a couple of years of being out of it. And so the good thing was I didn't have to worry about money quite as, as bad as before. But then, you know, it's, it's always a double-edged sword. And then I didn't have as much time for comics. So I was back to weekends and nights doing the comic thing. Now, you work on American Dad? Yeah. Do you find um, doing an animation day job makes it harder for you to kind of work on drawing at night or is it do they use different parts of your brain yeah i think if if i was a regular storyboard artist i would i would probably be too burnt out and it would be hard but the job that i have now is like a step kind of a step back where i revise stuff and it's a weird job that's not at most on most shows, but I revise things once it's come back and been anima fully animated. They'll make changes, and I'll kind of board out those changes. So it's not nearly as demanding, mm -hmm. and it doesn't take as many hours. It's strictly 40 hours a week. Oh, that's nice. So in, in some respects, it's kind of the perfect job for me at this time um, because I, I am able to come home. It can still be tough because I'm still tired, and if I can get even an hour in at night, that's a pretty productive night, and then... You know, and then there's weekends, and I, and I do get a hiatus from time to time of about a month to two months off, and that's where I do a lot of the work. Now, what are some of your uh, influences that are working into Kirtles? Um, especially I'm thinking of, like, the coloring style. The coloring style... It's easier to point to influences in terms of story mm -hmm. and drawing... The coloring came about almost through default because um, I'm not a big fan of most computer colored stuff. And the people that I think do it really well, like Chris Ware or Jordan Crane, tend to work pretty flat. Mm -hmm. And with my drawing style, I didn't think that flat color would work so well. Although, I don't know, it'd be kind of cool to do it as a traditional comic. That would be fun. Um, where everything like a old newsprint comic, but but with this book, I thought I need something that's a little bit more um, a little bit more organic. That's another thing too. Is I wanted it to feel very organic. Everything about this world, there's really no straight edges. They live in the forests and tree houses, and I wanted the color to cord to sort of have that warmth. And uh, also, I'm not a very good computer colorist myself, so. Through uh, the, this prop, like I had a blog called Covered, and mm -hmm. I was experimenting in that where this blog was devoted to artists doing their own versions of pre-existing comic covers, kind of like covering a song. And so one of the approaches on that is I started to ink on watercolor paper and then just do the color directly over the inks. And, and it was working pretty well. And I was happy with the results. So as I, can, I started to think maybe this would be a good thing to do with this book. And also it kind of gave it a little bit of a classic children's book feel. Yeah. My big concern as I approached a book is it's, it's one thing to harmonize colors on like one image on a cover. And I wasn't sure how it would work doing multiple panels 
on pages, but it didn't turn out to be much of an issue at all. Another thought fear that I had was that I would mess up, that I would be, because I do my colors directly over the inks, so that I might be three quarters of the way through a page and then make some disastrous decision and I would have to do everything over again from scratch. And I think I did that once early on in the process and then I kind of got into a rhythm and I build everything up slowly so there's never a point of making a big drastic decision that I can't change. So the downside is it takes me quite a few hours to paint a page but then I don't make too many mistakes. Did you have much experience with painting before that? Not with watercolor. I yeah. I've done quite a bit of painting in gouache, which is similar, mm-hmm. but the difference being that gouache is can it can become opaque. Sometimes you can leave it transparent too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even even done a comic, an early comic in gouache that I don't think quite worked because it wants to stay flat. And my style didn't really it didn't gel. But uh, no, it was really through these covers on covered where where I started to put it together. One of my criticisms, I mean, it's just a personal thing I have with watercolor, is that it, it can feel very wishy-washy to me, like it's not bold. But yeah. over like solid ink, heavy ink lines, I think kind of takes that away. So I felt good about it. Yeah, it's that balance of like, with something like Charles Vest, where it's all bright colors and less focus on the, on the line work, where yours, you have a very kind of distinct, thick, black line to your work yeah yeah that was something too when i started i really didn't want the color to bring a lot of attention to it like i didn't want to be getting into highlights and core shadows and rendering it Mm -hmm. um i think i did a little bit but i i tried to minimize it and let the ink do most of the work now uh what were some of the because you said there were some specific influences as far as kids work kids books Books for kids. I can't even speak today. Uh, what were some of those that you'd kind of looked at? Is that stuff you'd grown up with, or is the stuff you looked at at a later age? I think the two chief people I've been looking at, it was even before I did this book, in, in trying, in being a guy who's kind of a, a bit of a cross-hatcher, um, looking at... Uh, old illustrators like the punch illustrators mm-hmm. do a really great job. Um, but two people specifically that had, that had just a great line quality, but also their work has got just a really beautiful charm to it. And it feels very alive is, um, Garth William, Garth Williams, who, uh, illustrated Charlotte's web and, um, the rescuers and I think the Little House on the Prairie books, but I don't, I don't really care for those too much. Those are in pencil. Um, and then Ernest Shepard, who did Winnie the Pooh, which those are just, those are just perfect, perfect drawings. Mm-hmm. I was looking at some of those yesterday, and I was just like, oh, God, this guy. Just, <laughs> just the perfect gesture of, like, uh, of, of a childhood gesture in, in uh, Christopher Robin, or just the way um, Piglet's head is. Or the way Winnie the Pooh kind of moves, it's it's just wonderful. So looking, so, looking oh, at sorry. that work, does it sounds like that encourages you and doesn't make it like defeatist at all? Yeah, yeah, it does. If I could capture like half of the life that he has in his drawings, 
in mind, I would feel pretty successful. Um, I wouldn't want to get so close that it looks like I'm aping him, but mm. um, but he's he's definitely a guy I like looking at. I think he also did the Wind in the Willows, which I should probably pick up. Because um, I think some of the earlier punch artists, and this may be the result of the printing, because I think they had to, uh, like, carve that stuff out to print, yeah. like in the 1800s. So some of their stuff feels kind of stiff, and it may be that their original drawings don't. But by the time Ernest Shepard comes along, uh, it's not as stiff. Like, it's, it's really a nice balance. It's of, also like that transition in style to yeah he's getting a bit more modern um but not not like uh things tend to flatten out as you go post-war a bit which is i like that stuff too but um it just wasn't really working with what i was doing do you have particular uh parts and kernels that you feel like you kind of captured that lifeness that being alive in the art a little bit in um, in the beginning, I guess I should mention a little bit um, what it's about. That uh, it's a yeah. it's the some of the uh, some of the premise. Sound there's there's things that maybe feel a little cliched, but um, but basically it's about a stuffed bear that gets chucked out of a, a car by a bratty kid, and it comes it comes to life. And there's some pages in the beginning of the book that are that are silent. She doesn't speak, where she has been tossed out of this car, and um, it's it's raining. And I discovered a wonderful color that I'd never done before this book, which is Payne's gray, which is like I never understood why you would buy gray paint before, but I I tried it out, and it's just the most beautiful, cool gray. So I used it all over the place in these pages mm. for rain. That's interesting. That gives it that kind of, because there's a, a really neat kind of darkness. I really like. Yeah, it's dark coloring. without the color getting too saturated. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, it's just a wonderful color. Like I would, I would be happy to do a story just in black ink and like a Payne's gray wash. I would look really wonderful. Do you ever look at um, Steve Ditko's gray wash stuff? I I think I have that he did for um, the Warren magazines. Yeah. Yeah, I I have, but I don't think I have any... I Maybe you've just seen bits of it reprinted in things. Have they ever been reprinted in a book? Yeah, yeah. Dark Horse did a collection of it. It's, oh, okay, go ahead. I would say it's, it's the Ditko stuff I find the most fascinating and interesting and dynamic. Because uh, he'd never used it before, too. That's mm. the only time he'd ever done it. You know, he's all about black and white line art. Um but that stuff isn't. It would be great for mood, I think. Mm -hmm. And his stuff, I mean, especially for Warren magazines, it would be all about all about the mood. So that sounds really appropriate. Yeah, I need to check those out. I think the Dark Horse books did they print from? I think my beef with them was they printed from the magazines, right? Do you get a bit of a moray pattern looking at them? I haven't looked close enough. I think they tried to do original as much as possible. Okay. Uh, but the problem is, like, so much of that stuff is just... Yeah. Especially worn stuff, it just all fell to the cracks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, who knows what Ditko's done with his own artwork. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'll have to look at that. 
but yeah, I think um, through that area there, um, it's it's pretty much all told with her body language, and her design is very simple. And I I do I felt really good about a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, especially when I found the right color scheme to work on it. Um, you know, it's not it's not quite Ernest Shepard, but I felt good about it. <laughs> um, now you're gonna talk a little bit about kind of the story. Oh sure, yeah. Um, so once she gets chucked out of there, she uh, she she has kind of a rough night basically, where a lot of hazards come her way. She's lost in a forest, and she comes across a group of kind of oddballs. So we sort of start in a human world, and sh- she gets discovered by um, these weird characters where one of them is like a unicorn head stuck on a, on a body, a normal body, although the body has fur. Uh, a guy who's got five legs um, named Penipus, and the only clothes he wears is a hat. Um, another guy who's kind of like a stuffed scarecrow person. And, um, and they agree to help her try to get home, but in in the short term, they have a problem of their own, and their home has gotten a disease where it's starting to grow fur. And so she agrees to help them with their problem um, if they'll help her out. And then through the process of the story, she kind of discovers that there's really nothing to go back to. This kid was a brat. And these guys are pretty great, and their home is nice. They live in a treehouse. So she ends up, well, I don't want to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> I won't give away the whole story. But anyway, yeah, that's that's the gist of it. I want to talk a bit about the Pentapus. Okay. The creepiest looking character to me. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so weird. There's just all these legs, and it's just like how the one comes up when it's pointing to things. And Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's a super simple face, too. He's just two dots and uh, an aligned for a mouth. Um, he's kind of my favorite one to draw and he also changes colors. So that's really nice. Cause no matter what the color scheme is, he's kind of the guy that I can do last and make it work mm-hmm. or, you know, depending on, on the needs. So, um, yeah, I like drawing him a lot. Um, so in doing this book and, um, you, have you kind of envisioned like a larger universe to work in with these characters? Yeah, I've... Uh, since I was working on it for so long, it was like 10 years from when I first got the idea to when it saw print, um, I've thought about it a lot. And um, and I still kind of have this hope that maybe a book for kids would be a way for me to make a living doing comics, that it might have enough appeal that I could pay a mortgage with it. Mm-hmm. But it may not happen overnight. So um, what I would like to do is to try to do maybe three of them and then see where it's at after three. And so I'm thumbnailing the second one now, and I think I'm getting pretty close to wrapping that up. And I would like to, so that I don't disappear for five years, um, maybe get a bit of a head start and, and try to serialize it online. Mm-hmm and maybe post a page a week, and then get the second one out. And that kind of forces you to have that done too, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And one thing that was encouraging is once I, I kind of got into a rhythm and, and I knew, um, like I started to keep track of how many, how many hours it took to ink a page, how many hours it took to color a page. And so it became very mechanical, very methodical, and, and almost kind of workmanlike because it, mm-hmm. it, it, it was very consistent between like five to seven hours. So it was easy for me to schedule how much I could get done in a week uh, within you know, realistic constraints of the rest of my life. And so um, I do feel like once, once this thing is kind of roughed out, that it's very easy for me to, to make out a schedule, get a certain amount of pages done, and, and just hit things like clockwork. It shouldn't be too hard. So, yeah. You ever see uh, Alec Longstreth's mechanics for keeping track of his pages? No, I don't think so. It's kind of interesting, but also kind of crazy. Um, he'll do like these specific percentages of how far he is within a page of pencils, inks. It, it's really, it's it's kind of fascinating. I don't think it would work for everyone, but it's a, it's a way of, of kind of tracking your progress. I did something sort of similar where um, once I had figured out I think I dedicated basically 10 hours a week to this book um, that I made a chart and I basically said this page is due. I think towards the end I had to do, when I was coloring, I was finishing a page about every four days. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote out a schedule because I had to, at that point I, I, I set up a deadline with Fanographics and I was able to do it pretty well. It was, sometimes, I think in the summer I had, um, I went to Comic-Con one weekend and I went on another trip on another weekend, and that set me back, and catching up was a bear. But um, I was able, you know, and sometimes I would finish early, and I'd write in the date of when I finished early, um, and I was able to keep track. So it, what it did was it took out some of the pressure of feeling like there was this insurmountable mountain to climb, and it was just, it was just you know, just do my little bit every week and it just got done and it did just a lot of the mental torture went away and I would imagine that's what motivated um, Alec to do a similar thing and also it feels good to just you know that part is done you know I've, I can knock that off the list and it kind of encourages you to keep going um, now we we're talking you'd mentioned earlier the covered blog now I don't remember when it was that you stopped doing that um, but it got pretty popular and pretty active and I'm wondering if we want to talk a little bit about some of the interesting stuff you'd come across and kind of the reasons for, for calling quits on it um, there was a lot I discovered a lot of artists through there which was probably the highlight of it um, it went for about three years and I would post one one cover for five days of the week. And, um, and the great thing was, um, what I, my goal was that if I could get the whole world of comics, mainstream guys, indie guys, maybe people that nobody had ever heard of before, that would be the perfect blend. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of mainstream guys are really cool because they do it for commissions, they do that kind of stuff. So like Steve Rude and Art Adams and Joe Jusco, 
And so they might go up one day, and then the next day, um, Michael DeForge did something. I think I discovered him through this blog. Uh, got a guy named Matthew Allison I loved. Uh, I discovered through Jimmy Gigerich, I think is how you say his name. Um, that's probably not how you pronounce his name. Gigerich? Is that, is that it? It's the Prairie kind of Bible freaky? Fellowship? No, no, oh. it's... Um, he does a, he's been doing a little cartoon lately. Um, but he does a lot of monster stuff, and, and it's really great. Um, John Vermilia did stuff. Um, even, uh, oh gosh, there's so many, it's hard to even remember. <laughs> um, Coop. Um, Laura Park did something, I think. What was Laura's? I forget what it was. Um, but yeah, yeah, at its best, it was fantastic. Like, if we could get copyright clearance and do a best of, book it would be amazing there was really a lot of great stuff um just do a bootleg yeah yeah the printing costs would be too expensive yeah um but basically after about three years it did start to peter out it was getting hard for me to fill every day Mm -hmm. and also it didn't take a ton of time to do but but with this comic and doing 10 hours a week if it was just if it was one more hour that i had to devote to something and it would be more than an hour probably um it was just it was just too hard on my time because my wife and i during this time we also bought um just a wreck of a house that we spent a lot of time fixing like we redid the foundation i mean just a lot of work on a house um and we moved our bedroom in it like four different times so that was also another big uh time time drain on me so covered just freeing up maybe one hour an hour and a half towards the end was a big help Mm -hmm. so um you know and it was kind of it was kind of petering out so it did its thing it ended on a strong note i think and um and it's still up there and you can and there's like a little index on the side so you can go down and i tagged all the artists so you can go down and find artists that way you could find artists that were covered um, you can even look up uh, characters. So yeah, there's a lot of great stuff on it. It's there's also lots of neat stuff like uh, that have that's come out since then. Other folks have done like one guy was getting all these different people to do a uh, page for a Fantastic Four comic. Yeah, I think he was even before. Was it before covered? I think so. He's been doing his thing for a long time. I think. It's, Those pages are great. Yeah, it's finished because uh, it really? yeah, my friend gave me. Uh, he did a a mini comic of it. And my friend. Gave oh, me a that's copy. great. Yeah, it was really neat. I have no I, idea where it is. <laughs> I wonder because it's like a collector guy, right? Like yeah, yeah. So he... he'd like pay Chester Brown to do a page, and yeah, his page is really cool. Um, I think did Jeffrey Brown do one too? Oh, I'm sure. And I Jeffrey forget. Brown has a. A sketchbook of his favorite issue of X Men. I think it's one of the Paul Smith issues. That I, saw. I he was one of the reasons I was talking to him and I think Renee French and he was one of the reasons that I started the blog. Yeah, and and he was um, he was one of the first guys I posted. He did like a crazy Secret Wars cover <laughs> with <laughs> Doctor Doom, and yeah, he did a few things. And I think he may have um, he may have done an X Men cover that perhaps is from this. 
this book. So what what has he been doing with that book? Has he been redrawing it? No, he's been getting other people to draw it. Oh, okay. It's really neat. I just saw a sketchbook. I don't even know if I'm supposed to mention it, but it's too late now. Um, the yeah, he was getting folks to draw. It was really neat, really fascinating. I think it was like his favorite comic when he was a kid or something. Yeah, I think um, Rene French did uh, that Havoc and Wolverine meltdown comic. Oh yeah. Like, it was really interesting to see, because people, you know, they made a decision as to what cover they were going to devote this time to. So, people usually have some kind of emotional attachment to whatever they chose. And, and so, a lot of it would be very surprising as to what people did. And, and seeing indie people do mainstream stuff was a lot of fun. The combination I never got was seeing a mainstream guy do an indie book. <laughs> like <laughs> but, oh well. An Ethan Van Skyver blamo cover yeah that would that would have been perfect yeah <laughs> i think noah covered his brother yeah uh, no i think so but that would so, be amazing yeah. the other way around yeah yeah it just it never <laughs> we never get love from the mainstream guys <laughs> yeah it's funny because like mainstream comics is it's a weird world where they don't quite understand not the whole you know all-encompassing but there are a lot of folks in there that they're so their view is is what they know and don't really know outside of that yeah exactly i find it to be much more um maybe myop myopic yeah like like it's it's just a very narrow i get into this discussion with people about movies like there's an entire huge world of movies out there other than what you're fed by hollywood every weekend and and to to just never have any curiosity. I mean, you're getting like superhero comics is just this tiny, tiny thing of the of the wonderful comic world. It's odd, but you know, whatever. I, it might be getting a little bit better because um, I think the lines are getting a bit more blurred. It seems like Image is a place where these worlds are colliding a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think that people. I'm sure a lot of those guys have read like Chris Ware and Dan Klaus at this point. I did see a Robert Crumb book at Rob Liefeld's house. Oh, wow. Oh, see, that would have been an amazing <laughs> Rob Liefeld covering like a weirdo cover. It was the Bible. Oh, okay. it, was, it was Genesis. He, he pulled it out. <laughs> um, guys, guys, I don't want to convert you or anything, but this is really awesome. <laughs> Convert people to Christianity or convert people to Crumb? Uh, the prior. Because <laughs> that, that book would not convert anybody. I mean, no. I was pretty familiar with the Bible and, and a lot of its craziness, but that book, there's a lot in Genesis where it is horrific that God, a lot of horrific things that God does yeah. that I just can't imagine that's going to win anybody over. <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah, yeah, who knows? I think he's just more kind of used to, like, people kind of snub at him because he is, um, you know, a pastor's son, and he probably has been treated kind of mar- marginalized because of that in artistic communities. So he's probably used to, like, if he says anything about church, people just kind of snub their nose. Yeah. So I have a feeling. It's a presumptive this but yeah. Hmm. Now, you're going to be at Long Beach Comic Con in 
September, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, September. It's going to be my... That'll be a weird thing, because that's kind of a mainstream show. Mm-hmm. So I'll see how my book does. Um, Are you tabling with anyone, or...? No, no, no just bros? be there on my own. <laughs> you know what's weird? I think uh, Keenan Marshall Keller is going to be there. Oh, of course. So I won't be the freakiest, freakiest thing there. Yeah, no, I'm sure him and Tom Neely are going to be hawking off humans. Yeah. Wherever they yeah, can. so see how it goes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for joining me today. Sure. Um, reminder, folks, we've been talking to Robert Gooden, and his new book is Curdles from Fanagraphics, which you can find in better comic stores and online retailers near you. Thanks, Robert. Well, thank you, Robin. Ah, uh, whiskey. Whiskey is the life of man. Whiskey, Johnny. I drink whiskey when I can. Whiskey for my Johnny O. Whiskey killed me, poor old dad. Whiskey, Johnny. And whiskey drove me mother mad. Whiskey for my Johnny O. Whiskey killed me, brother Ben. Whiskey, Johnny. It always was the world began. Whiskey for me, Johnny. Oh, whiskey is the life of man. Whiskey, Johnny. I drink whiskey when I can. Whiskey for my Johnny. Oh, I took my gal to a whiskey mill. Whiskey, Johnny. We drank whiskey and I gave her my fill. Whiskey for my Johnny. Whiskey from an old tin can, whiskey, Johnny. I'll drink whiskey when I can, whiskey for my Johnny O. Oh, whiskey is the life of man, whiskey, Johnny. I drink whiskey when I can, whiskey for my Johnny O. I drink it hot and I drink it cold, whiskey, Johnny. I drink it new and I drink it old, whiskey for my Johnny O. Whiskey up and whiskey down, whiskey Johnny, whiskey all around the town, whiskey for my Johnny O. Oh, whiskey is the life of man, whiskey Johnny. I drink whiskey when I can, whiskey for my Johnny O. Oh, whiskey here and whiskey there, whiskey Johnny. I'll drink whiskey everywhere, whiskey for my Johnny O. I'll drink whiskey in a noose, whiskey, Johnny. And I'll drink whiskey with Dr. Seuss, whiskey for my Johnny O. Oh, whiskey is the life of man, whiskey, Johnny. I drink whiskey when I can, whiskey for my Johnny O. Every man, whiskey, Johnny, and a bottle full for the shanty man, whiskey for my Johnny O. Come along, boys, and pull with a will, whiskey, Johnny. We're almost through, we can go it still, whiskey for my Johnny O. Oh, whiskey is the life of man, whiskey, Johnny. I drink whiskey when I can, whiskey for my Johnny O. Oh, 
whiskey is the life of man. Whiskey, Johnny. I drink whiskey when I can. Whiskey for my Johnny.